Well, good morning. It's good be, to be back and, and uh, preaching again. I'm sure you all are glad to see me just because I'm not doing the announcements, right? <laughs> all right. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, let me encourage you to look to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18. Got Matthew chapter 18. And this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, the debt of forgiveness. And um, there's no way that, you know, we can cover all that the Bible says about forgiveness in, in, one, in one message. But today I want to focus on why God says that we must forgive one another. And uh, I want to begin by reading this incredible story that Jesus tells, and it's in, found in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. So we want to read. This is the word of God. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him and said, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should pay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your incredible forgiveness of us. We thank you for that blessed mercy that flows down from the cross and covers us. We thank you for your grace. And Father, we pray that today as we think through your word together, that you would help us to understand what you want us to 
to receive from this time together in your word. That you would help us to be pliable and willing to obey in all that you show us. And that we might receive the, the benefits of being obedient to you. And Lord, that we might be a blessing to you. That we might be pleasing to you in every regard. Lord, we love you and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last uh, month through April, Pastor Travis uh, skillfully led us through a study of the book of First Peter. And, and there we learned that as believers, we live in a world that can be hostile to us and, and persecutes us. And one of the things that we, we ask ourselves is, what is our response to that hurt and persecution? I'm sure all of us recognize that it is all too easy to become bitter and resentful and, and begin to even despise the world around us. But that's not what God wants from us. God wants us to be used by him even in the midst of that suffering to reach the world that is even persecuting us. God wants to use our lives in the midst of all of that. But in addition to that, as believers, we often offend one another. Uh, you know, Peter said, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You see, hurt doesn't just come from the world. Hurt often comes in the church. And one theologian compared Christians to porcupines on a cold winter night. You see, we kind of want to shelter together from the, from, the, from the weather and from the difficulties. And sometimes when we start huddling together, what do we do? We end up needling one another. We're, we're kind of like the couple that got into an argument. You know, and, and, the, and the husband started giving his wife the silent treatment. And the, the wife at first was trying to, to talk to him, but he just kept, you know, being silent. And about a week into this uh, silent treatment, the husband started realizing that he needed his wife's help. See, he had a meeting in Chicago, and he had to catch a flight early in the morning to get up at 5 a.m. to be able to catch this flight. And so he didn't want to be the first one to break the silence, so he wrote her a note. Please wake me up at 5 a.m. Well, he went to bed, and when he woke up, he discovered that his wife was already up, out of bed. It was 7 a.m., already too late for him to catch his flight. And he's furious. And he's, thinking, he's getting ready to blast his wife for not waking him up. And he sees a little note. And he looks over and it says, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> a lack of forgiveness never goes well for us in any kind of context. And what is forgiveness? Let's begin with a definition. If you look it up in the dictionary, you know, forgiveness is the act of pardoning somebody for a mistake or wrongdoing. Now, notice it can be a mistake or it can be an intentional wrongdoing. Now, that's, that's uh, the, the adjective or, or noun form. But if you look in the verb form, you find three levels of meaning. It can mean to stop being angry about something or somebody, uh, be, to uh, stop resenting somebody or somebody's behavior. 
It can be to pardon somebody for a mistake, a misunderstanding, a wrongdoing, or inappropriate behavior. Or it can be to cancel an obligation, such as a debt. Now, that's actually a good, that's actually a good definition because really what it does, it starts, number one, it deals with the attitude that we have when it comes to forgiveness. And then it comes to the action that we have to take. And then finally, the result that happens if we and when we forgive. This is consistent with the biblical meaning of the word forgive in the Bible. It's me. It means literally to send away. It was the word that was used to describe the scapegoat that was sent away by the high priest on the day of atonement. That sin was sent out of the camp. It was gone. And what, that's what sin, forgiveness ultimately does is it gets rid of the sin that is between us and God or between us and another person. It sends it away. Forgiveness involves four elements. It's a deed that is done that causes an injury. And then there's a debt that is incurred as a result of that injury. That debt can be emotional, it can be physical, it can be financial, it can be relational. And then there is a decision that is made, a decision to cancel that debt. And then a deliverance is accomplished. See, they are freed from the debt that they owe to you, and you are freed from the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that is holding you. So forgiveness is the decision to set someone free from an obligation or a debt that is the result of a wrongdoing against you. It's a decision that comes. But the decision to cancel that debt is often very difficult to make. You see, our hearts and minds begin to argue against it almost immediately. Our natural tendency is to focus on the injury and to, and to justify the, the fact that, yeah, I have a right to be angry. We begin to say things like, you know, but you don't know what they did to me. They've lied about me over and over. She destroyed my career. If you knew what this had done to my family, you'd be angry too. They deserve to suffer like I've had to suffer. That drunk driver killed my child. How do you forgive that? I'm going to make them pay. I will never forgive that person. Never. C.S. Lewis said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. In other words, friends, forgiveness is very difficult for us to do. Even so, God's word tells us repeatedly that we must forgive one another. And we must forgive over and over again. It is essential to our well-being. Now, did you hear what I said? It is essential to your well-being to forgive. Most people are are really surprised to, to learn that forgiveness is not primarily for the offender, but for our benefit. 
When we forgive, we are being like our Heavenly Father in His character because, you see, He is forgiving. And when we forgive, we are moving out of the way a huge obstacle between us and God. We're just, we're getting it out of the way. That was a great time to do that. So we're getting that thing that is between us and God. We're removing it. And then when we forgive, we are freeing ourselves from the gall of bitterness and resentment that overwhelms our lives. You see, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. He says this, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. A lot of people don't understand that verse. But let me tell you, there are two kinds of forgiveness. There is a judicial forgiveness and there is a relational forgiveness. There is a forgiveness where where we come to God and through faith in Christ, God takes upon himself all of our sin and he removes our sin once and for all. And we are forever justified and made right with God. But then there is the way in which we live in relationship with God. The things that we do, the choices and decisions that we make, those things have an impact upon our relationship with God. Just like it has a relation, an impact upon our relationship with others. I mean, you can get married and you are married uh, under the law completely and fully, but then you can still have conflict within that relationship. And Jesus is saying, you know, if you are unforgiving, it becomes a barrier between not only between you and that person, but between you and me. And, and he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, do you see the common denominator in there? All, th- all these passages are telling us we forgive like God forgives us. God has forgiven us. We forgive others. And it, and it points us to the greatest example of forgiveness in the Bible. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because this is, this is the one who was the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, who knew no sin whatsoever, the only innocent man who ever walked the earth. And that sinless man was hung upon a cross and was condemned to die by people who, who lied and connived and, and plotted in order to bring false accusations against him and to condemn him. And yet while he was hanging there on that cross, Jesus said this incredible thing. While the people were laughing, while they were jeering, while they were mocking, he said to them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Luke 23, 34. See, these words sweep away all of our excuses. And many times we think, if only those who had hurt me would would show some remorse, would show some sorrow, then maybe I could forgive. 
And, and so often we're waiting for the other person to come to us for forgiveness. And we think, well, if he, if he would apologize, you know, if, if she would come back to me, if he would rehire me, then, then I could forgive. But you know, half the time, the other person who's, who, who has offended you doesn't even know they've offended you. And doesn't that make it even that much worse? Doesn't that even just make your anger grow and your bitterness increase? But again, let me ask you, consider Jesus on the cross. I wouldn't seem sorry. The crowd just laughed and mocked and jeered. And he said those words. They taunted him. If you're the king of Israel, you come down and save yourself. Let's be clear. When Jesus died, the people who are watching him die were glad about it. Pontius Pilate washed his hands of the whole sordid affair. The people just kind of went along. The soldiers were just doing their job. But the religious leaders were very intentionally seeking to destroy Jesus. And the, and the forces of darkness were rejoicing. No one said, this is a mistake. I was wrong. We're such fools. And yet, he said, Father, forgive them. And do you understand that is precisely what we must say to everyone as well? We have to say that over and over to people. We have to say it to the people who hurt us intentionally and who hurt us repeatedly. And we have to say it to the people who are closest to us, to husbands, to wives, to children, to siblings, brothers and sisters, to grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, church members. We say it over and over. I forgive. Forgive them, Father. One day Peter said to Jesus, Verse 21 tells us, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You understand, Peter thought he was being generous in offering seven times because the rabbis said two was sufficient. And Jesus says in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now understand, 70 times 7 does not mean 490. That is a number that for all practical purposes would be impossible to keep up with. I mean, even if you had an Excel spreadsheet and were trying to keep up with that, you couldn't keep up with how many times somebody had offended you and you say, okay, man, he's on, four, he's on 487. All right, we're almost there. What Jesus is saying is, is there is no limit on the number of times that we forget, I don't even try to keep up with it. See, when our human minds hear that, it sounds like an unreasonable standard, doesn't it? But the story that follows, Jesus gives us three reasons why you can forgive, why you can keep on forgiving. And number one is is you can forgive because God has forgiven you an unpayable debt. God has forgiven you an unpayable debt. 
And, and Jesus begins to, to, to tell this story in verse 23. And he says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be cared, compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now you notice in verse 23, that Jesus says this is a picture of the way things work in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is the way it works. And Jesus doesn't tell us how this man incurred this enormous debt. 10,000 talents is far too big a sum for anyone to borrow. So it may be that since the king, it says, was... But in essence, auditing his books, he discovers that this man has been embezzling. He's committed offense against the king. He owes him. It's a crime and, a, and stealing from the king. And he's brought before him to give account. And 10,000 talents. Man. You know, a talent was the largest measure of money in the Roman world. One talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. And a denarii was, a, was a, a day's wage for a Roman soldier. One, one day's wage. 10,000 talents, well, or excuse me, one talent was, was about 17 days. Excuse me, I'm messing this up. Uh, one talent was about 17 years of wages for a soldier. So one denarii. A day's wage, one talent, 17 years wages. And then 10,000 talents then would be 17 years of wages for 10,000 men. You can see this is an incredibly enormous amount. It's a large amount. In fact, the, the number that we, trans, that, uh, the word that translates this, is the word from which we get our English word myriad, which is an uncountable number, an incalculable number, a myriad. So this man owes an incalculable and unpayable debt. Today's terms, that would be millions and millions of dollars. And yet he's making this, this silly statement that he will repay everything given enough time. Give me enough time and I'll pay this back. Do you realize that that, that mentality is not unusual in our day? We do that all the time. We, we somehow, we, we don't see the enormousness of the debt that we owe. We don't feel it where we live so often. Uh, for example, do you know what the national debt of America is right now? Our national debt is about $20 trillion. Now, we're, we're used to hearing that word on the news, but we don't really feel that. 
But let me see if I can give you a little bit of a picture of what a trillion dollars is. Let's begin with a $100 bill. Everybody knows about that, right? I'd like to have one of those right now. $100. Now let's go to our next denomination, which would be $10,000. That's $10,000 in $100 bills. Hmm, Pretty small. Now let's go to the next one, which is $1 million. That's $1 million in $100 bills. Then we're going to go $100 million. And you can make a couch out of it. It's, that's how much money you got, you know. Would you like to, that would be a, a good uh, entertaining <laughs> night, wouldn't it? <laughs> $100 million. And by the way, $100, $100 million is equal to one year's wages for about 300, uh, uh, 3,500 average Americans. So if we were to try to make it comparable today to like a, a 10,000 denaria or a 10,000 talents, we'd have, it'd be three times that, $300 million was what, we want, what we'd be talking about to make it comparable to what was happening then. This is an incredible amount. And then we go to a trillion dollars, a billion dollars, excuse me, a billion dollars. Now, all those stacks there, those are $100 bills. Then we go to a trillion dollars. Now, that's hard to see, but if you're on the backside there, there's a jumbo jet sitting on a football field. That's the, that's the uh, White House there. And, and if we look at the next slide, it kind of gives you the aerial view. That, those are all stacks of $100 bills. This is, a tw- this is $1 trillion. Now, then we go to the next one, and we're looking at $20 trillion. Now, I don't know if you can see that or not, but that little glowing thing kind of in the middle, that's the Statue of Liberty. And if we look at it a little closer, that's how much higher above the head of the Statue of Liberty, $20 trillion. I'm not done. (laughs) Did you know that... America has a, over 100, about $122 trillion in unfunded liabilities, things like Social Security, all kinds of entitlement programs that go on, over $100 trillion. What you're looking at is the Empire State Building and the Twin Towers, World Trade Center. And then you look at the final picture, you can see how much further, higher than the World Trade Center, our debt is. In in all practicality, that is incalculable. Now, think about this. This is our nation, but we don't feel that. We don't feel that today. It doesn't affect my life. I can still go to McDonald's after church, right? I, I don't feel it. And that's the way it is oftentimes with our sin. Right now, we don't often feel it. But the reality is, we all have an incalculable, unpayable debt that we owe to God. And have you come to understand that your sin is piled up like those $100 bills with God. You say, what do you mean? I mean, just, just think about it. From, from the, go, go back to the time you were just a child. 
How many times have you been selfish? How many days out of your childhood were you selfish? How many times did you fight with siblings? Did you seek your own way? Did you take their portion of something? that you Did you irritate them? How many times have you disobeyed your parents? How many times have you copped an attitude with your parents or sassed them or talked back to them or even cursed them? How many times have you done those things and just in a single day disrespected them? How many times have you lied? How many lies have you told in your life? I guarantee not a person here could even count the number of lies that you've told, the dishonest things that you have said, implied, the distorted truth that you've presented in your favor, the dishonesty. How many of you have taken a false oath, broken a promise, broken a confidence, broken a commitment, and then lied or justified to cover it over? Well, I didn't do that because... How many of you cheated? Cheated at a game. Cheated on a test. Cheated on your taxes. Cheated at the store. Taken what was not yours. Gotten angry when you lost. How many of you used profanity? Cursed people and things. Taking God's name in vain, even if it's just, oh my God. You see... How many times has your heart been filled with lust for another person? How many times have you acted on that lust in some way? How many times have you engaged in your mind in these immoral things? How many times have you been involved in, in fornication with someone other than your spouse? Jesus calls that adultery. How many times have you looked at pornography? How many times have you dressed in such a way wanting people to look at you and desire you? How many times has your heart been filled with anger and rage and hate and you wanted to hurt someone? You wanted to hurt them with your fist or you wanted to hurt them with your words. Maybe you even had a scenario in your mind where you would torture them before you would kill them. People have gone through all these kind of things. I mean, if you've wished for other people to fail, for them to be embarrassed, for bad things to happen to them. Have you, and some of you have even filled the hearts of other people with your own bitterness toward other people by speaking libel, speaking slander, gossip, uh, horrible things about other people. How many times have you looked at what others have and wanted it? That's called coveting. How many times have you put other things before God? That's called idolatry. When you love the world, things of the world more than you love God, how many times have you failed to pray? How many times have you, had to, have you failed to have faith and, and believe in God? How many times have you gone and acted in your own strength rather than in the power of the Spirit? And on and on and on and on and on we can go. And the, and the debt is just piling up and piling up and piling up. And we don't even feel it right now. But we have an incalculable, unpayable debt before God. And how many times have you come to worship? Or not come to worship? And not worshiped? See, see we're, we're, we're described... 
by the person in verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Now some people see this as a picture of, of hell where men spend all eternity paying an unpayable debt. But this is not really a picture of final judgment. The slave falls down, prostrates himself before the Lord, and he says, have mercy on me. He's, he's condemned, he's guilty, but, and he even meets, makes this silly statement that he's somehow going to repay him, but his basic attitude is of seeking mercy from his Lord. He has no defense, but the Bible says in verse 27 that the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Now, friends, that is an extraordinary picture of God's compassion and his love for sinners. God is anxious to forgive us, and he willingly forgives when we turn to him. The king's Forgiveness is really astonishing because think about it. He himself has to absorb the loss. He's the one who's got to take this enormous debt on himself. The king's forgiveness is is incredible. And yet, this is exactly what God did for you. He sent his only begotten son into the world and he went to that cross and he took upon himself all your sin all of your debt that enormous amount and he paid for it he paid it off so that you can be free from your debt of sin and Jesus says you can forgive because you have been forgiven an unpayable debt But not only that, the second principle tells us that you can forgive because God asks you to forgive a lesser debt. A lesser debt. In verse 28, Jesus says, But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now, the implication here is the first thing that he does after he relieves the king is he goes out and finds a guy that owes him some money, and he begins to uh, demand that he pay him back with violence and threats. And again, we're shocked because you think that someone who'd just been forgiven such an enormous debt would have an appreciation for forgiveness. Remember, this guy owes what? A hundred denarii. And a hundred denarii is like a hundred days wages. Now, that's not insignificant, but but compared to what this man has just been forgiven, it's an enormously less amount. And what does the guy do? He's unwilling to forgive, and he has the man thrown into debtor's prison. Those were common in those days. When a person couldn't pay their debts, that's what happened. You went to prison, and you worked a menial task job for a pittance, and all that you received, or most of what you received, for pay, you didn't get it, but your creditor got it. In those days, you couldn't go to some agency and get free from your debt or file bankruptcy. You went to prison. 
And that's what this man does. He sends him to prison and, he, and he's working. It's hard to believe that someone could act that way, and yet that's exactly what we do, you see, when we refuse to forgive. Although we have been totally forgiven by God himself, we then turn around to someone who has committed a relatively minor offense against us, and we demand full payment from them. It's foolish not to forgive other people when we've been forgiven all that we have. You can forgive because God is asking you to, to forgive a lesser, much lesser debt. And finally, not to forgive incurs a greater debt. Verse 32. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, when the king finds out what happens, he's outraged. And he immediately calls this slave in to account. And he says, you, what do you call him? You wicked slave. And, and he's so angry that he hands him over to torturers. What? Now, this is a picture of the way it works in the kingdom of heaven. He hands him over to torturers. The, the question is, why is this servant being handed over to torturers? Is it because of the previous debt that he had incurred? Is it because now God is going to make him pay back that uh, 10,000 talents that he owes? Well, if that were the case, it would imply that God may rescind his forgiveness from us. And that our forgiveness would be conditional upon us continuing always to do what's right. That our salvation would be both based on our works. But remember, when you come to Jesus Christ and you bring him all your debt, he pays the price once and for all on the cross. And you are justified. You are made right with God. We're not talking about judicial forgiveness. We're talking about relational forgiveness. And here, this man incurs a debt. Not the debt he owed previously, but the debt to forgive. He will not forgive. And this this is a debt that he owes now. And it becomes a barrier between him and his God. And the servant, this this servant, he's a believer. Do you get the picture? He's a believer, but he's an unforgiving believer. He's forgiven, but he won't forgive. And let me tell you, the church is full of people like that. 
Church full of people that are forgiven, but will not forgive. And it's a, it's a great barrier between us and God. I believe if we could see a, a, a scan, you know, like a, a thermograph of, of the church, if we look from heaven and see a thermograph, and, and, and everywhere there was unforgiveness, it would be red, and everywhere there was forgiveness, there would be green, I think we would see a whole lot of red in the church. The sin of unforgiveness is so wicked in the life of a believer because we have been forgiven this unpayable, incalculable debt. And yet we won't forgive someone some lesser, minor debt in comparison. You see, the point of the parable is we must forgive others like God has forgiven us. Verse 33, should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? Verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The punishment here represents God's discipline of unforgiving believers. And unforgiveness belittles God's mercy and grace. It tramples underfoot his great forgiveness. What did this man owe? 10,000 talents? No, he owed forgiveness. And withholding forgiveness, friends, is costly. Listen to me. If you haven't been listening before now, you ought to listen now. The world's greatest prison is the prison of of an unforgiving heart. And in that prison, there are incredible torturers at large. And they work they, their art. There is an art of torture. There are the tormentors uh, that, that are everywhere in the, the heart that will not forgive. There's the tormentors of anger and bitterness that eat your insides out. They're like an acid that constantly chews at you. And you know what? The, what's always interesting about this is that you see what we're wanting to do, our intention is to cause harm and hurt to the other person by our bitterness. But in reality, the bitterness is just eating us alive. They're, they're the tormentors of frustration and, and malice that give you ulcers and, and high blood pressure and, and migraine headaches and low back pain. I, I thought about sharing with you a study that shows that uh, one of the several of the studies that show that unforgiveness has a devastating effect upon your life physically, not to mention emotionally and, and spiritually. But it does, and I'll guarantee you that any, any physician uh, will tell you that in their experience that many of the things that people are dealing with and, and struggling with have to do with their relationships and the, and the unforgiveness and the turmoil that's in their life. There's the, the tormentors that make you lay awake at night on your bed stewing over every rotten thing that's ever happened to you. They're the tormentors that, that, of an unforgiving spirit that stalks you, your trail, day and night, sucking every ounce of joy out of your life. 
These tormentors are incredible. And they affect everyone around you. Did you notice that it says that his wife and his children were sold? It, it affects the whole family. It whole, affects everybody. And when there is bitterness and unforgiveness in a family, it, it, it affects that family. When there's bitterness and unforgiveness in the church, it affects that church. And whatever, wherever it is, it affects everybody. And you see, it's, it's really, it oozes out, and, it, and it's happening to us just as Jesus said, because you refuse to forgive. And I'm convinced that, that multitudes of Christians suffer from guilt and stress and depression and discouragement and relationships problems and conflicts because they refuse to forgive. I've done a lot of counseling in my time as a pastor, and I can tell you that forgiveness is not easy. But I can tell you also that forgiveness, when, when the decision is made, that immediately it releases you from the tormentors. It releases you. From, from 1974 to 1981, uh, Allison um, Arna, uh, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Ar- excuse me, Allison Armgrim played Nellie Olson on the popular TV show, Little House on the Prairie. Of course, you know, if, if you know anything about that show, Nellie was the bad girl. She was the spoiled little brat, and she was always tormenting sweet little uh, Laura Ingalls. Now, well, uh, several years ago, she was at a fair in Los Angeles in a tent with several other former child stars. And they were signing autographs and talking with people, and they each had a table set up. And, and she had a long line of people. She was kind of getting tired. And finally, this, uh, she looks up to this lady to, to get the picture or, what, or the book or what it was she wanted her to sign, and she had nothing. And she's, this woman was just standing there staring at her. And she was kind of like turning purple and blue, and she was shaking, and she was swallowing hard, and she was closing her her eyes and then taking deep breaths and, and her husband is sitting there and they're thinking, oh no, what is going on here? And they were getting ready to call security and finally this, this woman is able to blurt out, I forgive you. And she breathes this deep sigh of relief. And she smiles and she turns around and leaves. Now, Allison has never seen this woman before in her life, but she says this is a common occurrence for her. People hold a grudge against Nellie Olson, who never even existed, and a show that has not aired for 30 years, and there are still people being tormented by their unforgiveness of Nellie Olson. But you know what happens when you forgive from the heart? You are immediately released from your tormentors. When you forgive, when you forgive someone, you don't hold it over their head. You don't remind them of what they did. You refuse to raise the issue 
again and again. You don't pretend. You don't do it grudgingly. You lay aside your anger. You stop being angry, that attitude. You make the decision to forgive. And then you experience the results, which is the deliverance that comes when we forgive. Let me ask you a question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive today? That person's name may have come to your mind the first time you heard the word forgiveness. Or it may just now be that God is bringing someone really clearly to your mind that you need to forgive. Who do you need to forgive? I want to tell you, you can forgive. You can forgive because God has forgiven you an unpayable debt. And God is asking you to forgive a much lesser debt. And not to forgive is to incur a greater debt. God wants you to get rid of that thing between you and the person, that thing that's between you and him, And he wants you to know the the liberty of forgiveness, the freedom of forgiveness, the healing of forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that you have to go to that person, you have to stand there like that woman and say, "I, I forgive you. You don't need to do that. You need to make a decision. And you need to let go of it. And stop bringing it up and and making yourself miserable and everyone else around you with it. Let's pray together. 